0: Hello, and welcome back to Lost in Citations, our regular podcast where we speak to the producers of interesting content and see if we can learn a little bit more about their background. Rejoining us today is absolute legend of the podcast, Todd Bukins, a producer of content and multiple interviewee and the owner of ello.org. Very nice to speak to you again today, Todd. Oh, hey Chris! Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, I think i am I am I in the five timers club now? Do I get I, a gold jacket?
0: Well, if you include the uh, interviews that you did, uh, I think that maybe you you might get that gold jacket.
1: Oh, that would be an honor. I want I want to start the first five timers club for Lost in Citations.
0: Well, John has this idea of uh, having a Lost in Citations dinner at some point for the multiple, so it would be you. And obviously uh, me and John and who else has been on Robert Murphy, probably Anna Hoffmeyer, uh, you know, the people who've come back and back and back. Yeah, I think mean, that'll be an interesting conversation because um, you're all good people. Uh, I, I just want to reference the uh, you, you posted recently on Facebook about listening to the interview between me and Nahin uh, madabaka's ring Yes, and excellent. it was something that came together because of, well, not only the connection with JALT, but also the connection with you. And I think your name was brought up three times in that interview. But one of those times was that you recommended that she set up the SIG and then you left the country. So do you feel any <laughs> guilt about this?
1: I do. I do. And actually, I miss Japan dearly. <laughs> Thailand is uh, very kind to me. Um but yeah, I do feel a bit guilty. And I'm still involved with the listening SIG. And she is an incredible leader and an inspiration. Mm. And I'm so honored to work with her. Uh, she's just fantastic.
0: Well, like I said in, uh, in a message to you, uh, she's very charismatic and enthusiastic. And it made the interview uh, go very well. So I hope more people join that SIG and get something from it. Because as you say, she's a, she's a great leader.
1: Yeah, I keep on trying to promote her because she's very scholarly, very academic, unlike myself, really. and but she's just so down to earth and such a uh, you know, she has such a nice personality that she makes what could be a dry topic seem very interesting.
0: What we're going to be talking about today is uh, your series on your website LO.org, dot that's e l l l o org uh, on one minute English. and uh, I called it up before I started to make sure that I knew uh, what the number was Uh, but uh, you are at 1532 videos included in this and uh, just to read the introduction to people who have not seen it before English speakers from around the world answer a basic question all videos come with a script and a quiz and most videos are less than 60 seconds long so I guess my first question is, where did you come up with this idea of uh, this part of your website? It really
1: came about one weekend. Um, it was about maybe 2007, 2008. I can't remember. And it it came together so quickly. It's still the most uh, popular thing on LO and it was the easiest thing to come up with. Um, I just realized that the other lessons were a bit long. they took a lot of prep to create. and it would just be easier if the student can see the speaker's face because in this is kind of pre influencer time on youtube mm, um, mm. i thought it'd be really nice if the students could see people's face because there's actually a lot of research that shows that you gain a lot of information and, and engagement if you can see who is talking The um, comprehension levels actually go up there's been studies that have shown this um, that if you have if you listen to something and you can't see the person's face, and then you listen to something and you can see their face, you'll actually retain more information if you could actually see the person talking. I just started making those videos and they were so easy to do and they were way more interesting than the other content we had on the site. And so it was a no brainer really just to keep doing them. And um, people like doing them. Well, mm. I, I thought I'd have a hard time getting people to do it, but. Um it was kind of right at the perfect time in technology uh, where younger generations were very comfortable doing it. When I first started it, if you pretty much if you were over thirty, you wouldn't do it. People wouldn't do it. They were too self-conscious. But anybody that was under thirty had no problems and they're very comfortable. And so then it's just kind of grown since then
0: well, it, that's an interesting point. And it's come up um recently in the podcast about uh, the difference between like, Almost between pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, in terms of people's comfort level to have their faces seen on screen, to have their voices heard, to have their, um, you know, their opinions shared and also recorded, the kind of the, the the TikTok generation, they seem to be very very comfortable with being online. Um, yes. So uh, when you select for these um, videos. Do you choose it based on the person and their and their response? Or do you choose it based on the theme that you've asked them about?
1: No, it's I don't base it on anything. So in these days, what I do is I'll put out um, a job offer on a platform like Upwork and I'll say, you know, would you like to record a short conversation for one minute? Uh, people get paid to do it. And then we give them a list of questions. Um, and the only thing that people need for to, to qualify is um, has nothing to do really with uh, their English level. Well, mainly not to do with their English level. The first thing we want is that they have good lighting. They have good sound recording. Um, they're not too far from the, the camera when they do the video. There's not like a dark background or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, actually that they do have pretty good English. So I should correct that. Uh, And then that's it. And then we give them a series of questions, a huge list of questions, like a a spreadsheet of hundreds of questions. And all they got to do is put their name down to the question that they're going to talk about. Uh, And then that's it. And then there's a free little slot that if they want to have their own question, they can talk about whatever they want to talk about if they have, you know, they think they have a good idea. Uh, But it's pretty rare that anybody does that. But we do have a new feature now called um, One Minute Talks which is um the person is not on video and we do not tell them what to talk about and we give them examples of how to say a little anecdote about a little story about their daily life um and uh for those it's completely you know freedom complete freedom carte blanche they can do whatever they want mm-hmm.
0: well I, I was kind of drawn to it as a as a idea as a language teacher myself uh and also a language researcher because The idea of one minute English fits in with the TOEFL IBT that you have to, you get a series of questions and you have to answer the, you have 15 seconds to prepare, 15 seconds to answer, 30 seconds to prepare, 30 seconds to answer, one minute to prepare, one minute to answer. And so the ability to fit uh, an answer into one minute is in and of itself a skill because um and i i know this is a fault of myself the ability to prattle on for much too long to tell someone that you have less than 60 seconds to answer a certain question requires you to put that kind of structure together so you know did you have that as a as an idea to like kind of prepare the people who are listening and using your materials to put the organisational ideas into them that if there's a if it's a simple question give a simple answer get in get out you know move on with the discussion was that part of your um setup
1: uh, surprisingly no actually um it's it one minute was um chosen because that was about the the maximum attention length of a disinterested student right so <laughs> If a student really doesn't have a lot of motivation, they're not going to listen for more than a minute. That was the initial part. Also, actually, I found from doing uh, the interviews on Ello, we have another segment called Mixer. In Mixer, they only talk for about 20 to 30 seconds, and it's six people answering the same question. So the videos kind of came out of that. And I noticed that with Mixer, everybody can pretty much hit all the key points in about 30 seconds. And mm. if you ask them to expand <clears throat> on it a little more, they kind of run out of gas after about a minute unless the conversation goes somewhere else, pretty much everything that needs to be said is said in about one minute. But surprisingly, you do not want to actually give them structure because when they do that, people, um, they kind of muck it up a bit. It it kind of clouds their mind. You don't want to put uh, words in their mouth or ideas in their head. You just want them to speak freely um, you know, I've been kind of going out on a limb recently trying to calm people down about AI, because everybody's mm-hmm. talking about how AI and chat and all this stuff is going to take away jobs. I'm like, well, you know, there's a big difference between extemporaneous speech and scripted language. And AI is nowhere near <laughs> extemporaneous speech. And I even go so far as to say it will never, ever get there. It's mm-hmm. impossible because mm-hmm. we don't even know stream of conscious about how people talk it happens so fast that we generate these ideas and then we put them together for unplanned speech that it's almost i I don't know how you can get a computer to do it because we don't even know how we do it right nobody knows how it's done really it's kind of this magic of being a a human being Um, whereas if you have scripted language it's a very different process and it's, you know, it has iterations and revisions and, and the whole thing. And, and we know how we think when we write. Right. We don't know how we think when we talk. And so we want to try to keep it extemporaneous as much as possible, which is actually a problem because people will make a video and they'll send it to me. And sometimes I can see their eye movement in the video. Um, mm. But even if it's audio, I'll say, hey, that's scripted. You're reading yeah. that. And they'll go, what? No, no, I'm not. I'm like, you're lying. Mm. You're reading that. And they're like, well, how can you tell? And I'm like, you can tell, mm. you know? So, yeah.
0: I don't know well, if that I, answers
1: your question, but.
0: Yeah, yeah, it does. And uh, it, you're right about the, the scripted stuff, because we're coming up to uh, the end of the first quarter at Kyushu University. And one of my courses is a uh, presentation class. And I will tell them. In lesson one, and I will remind them when we move on to PowerPoints in in lesson five, uh, because I I know how all of these systems work. I was like, I know when you're reading. Mm -hmm. Trust me, Mm -hmm. I know. Yeah, Because the sentence starts like this, and it keeps going in the same flat tone, and it drops at the end. And then it comes in the next sentence, and then it goes off, and it drops off at the end. It's something that you pick up on fairly early as a language teacher, but it's something that we as humans know the difference between as you say extemporaneous talk uh, or something that has been prepared now prepared speech there's nothing wrong with it if you're good at presenting it but if you are not practiced in doing it if you're not a good you know public speaker working off a teleprompter or working from notes or something like that it's fairly obvious that the thing that you're saying is not what's coming off the top of your head so uh, that's why i i I liked about the, the the one minute english uh videos there uh do you do you provide any kind of like right to respond like uh, do you have a like a chat function with your LO users that they can provide you know feedback on what their own answer to the question might be no just
1: because it's both technical technically and in terms of um, management like admin management it's too much to handle So we don't, uh, I've thought about doing some stuff on YouTube where I could kind of Mm. do that, but usually what I would recommend is teachers do it like in a private chat or they do it. Um, you know, the videos are all, you can share them so you can put them on any platform. You can embed the videos in, in Moodle or whatever, and you could have a private chat. Um, you know, way back in the day, I had the option of maybe doing chat and I took it out because I noticed that if you looked Mm -hmm. at the chat windows, a lot of times the chat gets away from the whole purpose, which is listening, mm. and so I do think it's good to have some type of interactivity, but you kind of drift away from the whole purpose. So we don't we don't have it. Plus, also just for the the speaker's privacy, right. we don't do it.
0: Have you had any feedback from uh, teachers who have used it, embedded it in their Moodle courses, and uh, you know provided it as content for their courses?
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll, every time I go to a, an academic conference. Um, you know, there's somebody that will recognize me and be like, "Oh, hey, I use LO in my in my course or whatever." They don't recognize me, but they'll see LO on my name tag, and then they'll mm-hmm. go like, "Oh, you're the LO guy," and then, "Oh, I use it in my course or whatever," which is always really flattering. Um, and then, you know, I'm always curious, like, "How do you use it?" And, and some of them, I mean, it's so many different ways. Like I said, it could be in Moodle, it could be they have a, a website, it could be they just use it online in class for discussion. Um, you know, but yeah, it's definitely used in in
0: coursework. Uh, uh, on the on the name tag point, I think I may have meant, I think I may have said this story before, but uh, the very first conference I went to was in two thousand and seven mm-hmm. in Tokyo for JALT, and uh, you came along, and you were schmoozing with people, and uh, you noticed that some people had sponsored name tags, and so you took your name tag, you cut off the corner of your your meishi your uh yep. you know your your name card and put it into your name tag yeah the, the, the little thing that you on the lanyard and then you came back in and just like look look, look at this look at this look at this so yeah you're, you're always always good for the self-promotion it's yeah um, i think
1: your comment back in the day was you're the only guy at the conference who brought his own marker right <laughs> his name <laughs> on his on his card um yeah that was a bit Uh, dodgy but you know back then you got to do what
0: you got to do so yeah whatever it makes to you know get get the name out there so how did you 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 say you send out a a list of many questions and they choose which ones they're going to answer Uh, how did you kind of curate the questions like are there things that are across cultures I I know that you have users from around the world so across cultures that non-controversial or they are Things that you know get the, as uh, as Carl Benjamin calls it, gets the noggin jogging. Like, it, how did you curate the questions? Uh, usually,
1: I will just go to the a newspaper. I have like eight or ten categories, um, and then I just think of general questions related to the newspaper. Um, and it can't be anything controversial because it's a global site, mm. and so I don't want to offend anybody. Um, and so that's the number one rule. Yeah. Uh, also, like you can't say anything disparaging about your country, usually, mm. um, even if it's your own country, you can't definitely say anything disparaging about another country or a group of people. You can't talk about anything that would go against the values, especially the traditional values of certain cultures around the world. Um, we do have other stuff sneak in there. And I do get some some kind of negative feedback on that. Teachers will say, hey, you shouldn't do that. But um, you should have it, you know, more, uh, more open and liberal with your questions the stuff that you talk about. <clears throat> but I figure it's, it's we're there for linguistic purposes, so <clears throat> you can do that in another place.
0: But usually, I, I don't. Yeah. Um, when you say open and liberal, are, are there any? What are, are there any specific? Uh, you know, topics that people really don't want you to talk about.
1: Well, uh, there's a great presentation I saw years ago about the the ESL publishing industry and things that they couldn't talk about. So, for example, um, you know, having uh, your first kiss as a teenager or maybe drinking alcohol. I mean, things that we would think are really innocuous, like that are not that big of a deal are actually a big deal. And so a teacher couldn't mm. use it. Actually, I was just this just happened to me this week. There's a really good interview with a kid named Sean, where he talks about his crazy vacation in Cancun. And he makes a reference to Mexican uh, taxi drivers, mm-hmm. which I was like, I can't do that. Although all my Mexican friends have said, oh, dude, it's not a problem. It's like what he said is true. <laughs> he just said that like they drive crazy or something like that. Mm. And then he talks about um, drinking, being hung over every night on the cruise ship. And I'm like, oh, I can't use it now. Because if you have like 13, 14 year old kids, and their teacher wants to use it, it's just inappropriate to talk about drinking alcohol and getting drunk. So especially like depends, let's say it's a highly Catholic or Muslim population. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, I call it, you know, puppies and, and, and rainbows, you know, like, you got to keep everything (laughs) really um, appropriate for every group
0: yeah it's it that i think that's what makes it kind of tough deciding um what uh topics you're going to talk about and uh, i i think uh, well I, I do the same thing with my students I, I structure my courses around um the newspaper so i took six topics that generally come up in the newspaper things like things that might be controversial things like uh politics and business and culture Um, and science and health and things like that. That and then try to approach it in a way that uh, I was talking to you before we started uh, this interview that I send them out the week before that's their homework to go and find their own material on it and bring it in to talk about it in the course. And the reason I do that is so that any kind of controversial aspect of it they've kind of already seen. But then I don't bring up anything controversial in the lesson, yeah. so they've they've done their own pre-screening and they've decided what they what they like and what they don't like about the topic, particularly when it comes to things like I mean surprisingly business business is something that um, raises a lot of uh, hackles. Uh, I went through the the content in your one minute English. Is there a is there a topic that you'd say the majority or the plurality of your interviewees want to talk about that they're kind of drawn to
1: yeah travel everybody wants to talk about their trips um so everybody wants to talk about their trips um you know they went to dubai they went to uh rio de janeiro they went to shanghai and they had the greatest time ever um and so that's without a doubt the number one i would say Uh, The other ones, you know, talking about food, someone talking about food from their culture or something that Mm. they like, they they kind of like that. Um, They don't like to talk about their family usually too much. They don't like to talk about people too much, I think because they're (laughs) worried. Um, And yeah, that's but yeah, travel without a doubt. It's so easy to get people to talk about so much so that I have to say, uh, could you please not talk about that? Like we've talked about that (laughs) so many times before. Um, And also one of the things I'm actually really sensitive to now is there's a lot of people that listen to the site because it gets a big following because it's free. Mm. There's a lot of people that listen to the site that don't have the opportunity to travel. And it's kind of, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know, it bothers me a little bit that you might not have the financial means to travel. And maybe it's fun to hear about other people travel, but you know, maybe we could talk about things that can relate to people's lives a bit more. But like I said, I'm, you know, I'm pretty much open to do whatever people want to talk about.
0: Well, I mean, I, I, I bring this up when I when I talk about uh, politics and the media uh, in my classes and the Overton window, and the the thing that is absolutely rock center in the Overton window is the weather. So okay. yeah, it, it and it's something that. You know, you can talk to absolutely anybody you've known them for 12 seconds and you say, oh, it's a bit cold today. And no one's going to go, how dare you? Yeah. And so, but, but I think that travel and food are pretty much right rock center in the Overton window. So yes. uh, it doesn't surprise me that those are the uh, things, uh, well, depending on their opinions of what happened when they travel.
1: So, actually, on a a real quick note on that, I'd like to point out like one one of the things that I think is really funny, just the the psychology um, that's related to these these questions and answers, is that everybody thinks that their country is kind of the best in the world in terms of people, but everybody thinks that their government is the worst in the world, and I mean it's universal. It's universal. It doesn't matter what country the person's from once you sit because you'll sit down and talk with them a lot of times when you do the interviews or whatever right, and they'll right. start talking a little bit about their country and they think that their food in their country is great mm-hmm. but they think their government is the worst in the world mm. <laughs> and it's like well that's a shared
0: trait i think everybody seems to agree with you on that one well was it winston churchill who said that uh, you know, democracy is the worst system of government apart from all the others yeah so, <laughs> so, Yeah. everyone's just like well you know it's you know we we just have to put up with this but um uh anyway no can, more comment- can I actually
1: but- ask you a question about something of course so um one of the things I love about this podcast I think that you guys are on the cutting edge of something and and that how we share information is through just extemporaneous speech and you guys are making academia mm-hmm. accessible and I've been saying this for a long time that we need to have more uh highbrow type conversations like this and you'll see like you know the popularity of, of joe rogan right he was really the first one to do this mm. where he takes high level topics and have people just talk without planning what they're going to say so much and just speaking right. freely right because if you look at the human human speech in all languages mm. um through through time, there's an evolutionary process where we disseminate information perfectly with no training. You can go and get, let's say, a mechanic and pick some part in a car. And maybe this person's never went to college or whatever, but a highly skilled and, and, and smart person, intelligent person. And if you ask them how to explain something, it's amazing how they will do it in about a minute, mm. perfectly and succinctly. With no planning, and they'll give Mm -hmm. you all the necessary information that you need and nothing more, and it will be very easy to digest. Um, Who's the guy, the astrophysicist Neil DeGrasse DeGrasse Tyson? Tyson, Yeah. Yeah. So I heard an interview with him, and and they were asking him how he became such a great teacher. And he Mm. said, I didn't become a great teacher. He's like, they just asked me to do some news clips Mm. on astrophysics. And I thought, well, if I have to explain this to somebody that doesn't know astrophysics, I'd better just use just kind of easy terms and just, you know, simple terminology. And I really think we're coming to that era now where we're starting to realize that we script things too much. We write things too much. We expect people to learn through scripted text too much. And that, you know, this is the perfect example, Your, your website. I'm trying to give you guys flowers. I'm sorry, your podcast is because... You can have these really deep discussions about complex topics, but it's best if you do it with just speaking, just talk about it first, then go into the reading. So uh,
0: this is great. Um, So hats off. Well, I've always said um, that simple is difficult. If you want to make a difficult subject simple, it's not an easy task. Uh, And the best way to do it, as you say, is to talk your way through it the reason why we started this um podcast is to replace the conversations that academics have when they go to conferences uh while we were all in lockdown yeah and because the general thought is uh in the academic community that good communication between academics doesn't occur when the person is giving the academic speech. It occurs when they're having coffee afterwards. And so if we could replicate that, then we could actually get, you know, more people to understand what, as you say, are sometimes fairly complex issues. Um, Sometimes they're not that complicated when it comes to the you know the ability to write a book or complete a research project or to make connections in an academic community and then do a research project together it does require face-to-face communication and the ability to look them in the eye and trust them and so that's kind of where we are with uh with with this and we're coming up on uh, 150 episodes and uh we'll be going on to year 4 next year so um yeah and also uh, thank you to for helping us keep it keep it going in the early stages when we were you know we were looking for momentum and looking ways to build our uh, audience and looking for ways to build our catalog you you were certainly someone who has uh played a big part in that so I, I give you grace for that.
1: No, oh, it was my pleasure. And like I said, like you guys are, uh, you know, hopefully you're, you're going to be the example for more academic type um, podcasts and, you know, um, ways uh, or an example of ways on how to teach certain content. We've actually talked about this before where, you know, maybe we should have different levels of how we do content where you have what I call the orientation stage. And the orientation stage is you would just have somebody talk about it and you hear the terminology used and the basic concepts. And then you would go to level two, which would be the examination phase. And the examination phase is when you really look at it and you see what do you know, what do you not know, what do you need to learn, what is worth learning, what is not worth learning. And then the final stage would be the communication stage or the creation stage where you actually do something with it. And that model is basically just the PPP model, you know, um, presentation, practice, produce, but it's tweaked a bit, kind of modernized. Um, And the presentation one is where we lose students, I think. Like you said, you know, you go to an academic conference and you give a presentation and nobody listens, even if it's Mm. your own expertise or your own interest or whatever, nobody really listens. But like, if you go to the coffee shop after and you sit down and have a talk, then you're really interested. And that is like, the orientation stage, right, where you right, just right. ask questions, get the information, and we could probably teach content a lot better if we did more audio type input
0: instead of text. Well, I I call this the the the, the I use this example in my classes of um, of King Bob from the Minions, where he he through some combination of nefarious circumstances becomes king of England. And has to give a speech. So he stands on the uh, the balcony of Buckingham Palace and just shouts out King Bob and everyone just like claps. And then of course the minions, you know, they took a variant of gibberish and you know, and he's very confident about it. And then cut to the crowd just being <laughs> just right. not 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 knowing what's going on, just gawping at him. And then at the end of it, he just looks around and just goes, King Bob, and they all and they all shout again. And it's yeah. like this is Uh, One of the things that I say to my students when they're giving a presentation, you are the expert in the room for that three minutes, four minutes, five minutes. And the people who are listening to you may not know exactly what you're talking about, or they may not know all the concepts. And it's your job in the middle bit. um, You know, you give them your message and then you explain it in the middle bit. um, If they're looking at you and they're not understanding you, then it's your job to work out how to explain it better to them uh because you are the expert in the room. And this is um something I was listening to uh uh, uh a podcast the other day that was talking about the the problem with you know communication. I mean and ironically we are doing this communication online. Um but we have spent many an hour in the same room talking and with various other people and learning how to interact with them and that human interaction is so important in getting your message across so if you're trying to you know give a a message of your academic research you have to know how to interact with people if you're trying to sell someone something you have to know how to interact with them it's not just enough to say uh here's a here's an item you have money you want this item give me your money it's not going to work unless you know how to interact with them and trust you in this. So uh, I, I I wanted to ask you about the 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 videos that you have on your on your website. And oh, what about feedback from students? Have you had any feedback that it gave them more confidence to speak out about the things that they think and they know, and it gave them some support? for how to answer these types of questions. If they were asked in a classroom, yes. In a test, yes. But also I, I I like to emphasize, you only know something or you can only do something if you can recall it and use it at a time of your convenience. So have you had any uh, feedback from your from your users that these videos have kind of improved their confidence to do that?
1: Yeah, definitely some. I mean, there's been, there's a, we have like a, a message board system for for anybody that sends us an email and there's been about 9000 messages and it's about so so just 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 a few of them just a few yeah this is over many years (laughs) this is actually the second list so there's more than that but yeah the students say it again and again and again thank you this really helps me but they often don't say which task that they use Mm -hmm. but When I meet people, they always say, oh, I love One Minute English. I like your site. I only listen to One Minute English, though. Like they don't even listen to the other ones. And so my guess is that they can see that it does help them. And and actually, that's great that you recognize that because that's the whole design behind it is that the students can see how somebody answered something at length, how they use connectors and conjunctive adverbs and all these things to kind of seal it together, their message. Um, In a very easy way, you know, the grammar, one thing about the extemporaneous speech is the grammar and the vocabulary is incredibly simple. Um, One thing that's quite, you know, there's so many differences between written and and spoken. And and the easiest one to see is in those one minute English. Mm. It is not uncommon to have somebody talk for one minute and they talk in one sentence. They just have one really long sentence that uses basic conjunctions again and again and but so and but so because and but mm-hmm. so, and it sounds crazy. But you'll do the transcript and you're like, oh wow, that was one sentence. They just kept yeah. on going, you know. Um, and so, how to string together these really short clauses? Um, I have a, a when I teach people about like the power of of extemporaneous speech. So, you know, the easiest visual and why it's so powerful for learners of any language is that imagine that um, talking is walking, exactly like walking, reading is running, and writing is weaving. And by that, I mean, when you walk, you're taking one step, a very short step. There's a, a elongated pause between when one foot goes down to the next. And it's a very short thing, and you know where your foot's going to land. And it's slow and steady When you actually look at speech, extemporaneous speech, it's the same thing. Everything Mm -hmm. is these short little bursts with little pauses, just like I'm doing right now. It's a very steady pace, and so it's very easy to manage. When you read a script, and this is where the ESL materials really screw up. I mean, this is my one big complaint (laughs) that I've been screaming from the mountaintop for over a decade when you read something, you completely lose a lot of the basic prosodic features of speech and you make it way more difficult. Mm. You're running now, you're going too fast. There's not uh, elongated pauses between each clause. And Mm. so it's just faster. And if you're reading something that was written, Mm. Something that's written has been woven. You know, everybody, when they write, they stop, they go back, they change a word, they fix this. Mm. So it's like, mm. a, like in a loop, You're, you go forward, you go back, you go forward, you go back. But speech, natural speech is just one direction only. That's it. You mm. cannot go back and undo what you said. So that that's why they're just so different. And so it's very important that students can see somebody talk for one minute where they can't go back and change what they said. Mm. And it's simple and it's easy and it has natural pauses and it's very digestible. So yeah, I think it's important that they they get lots of that because it will
0: help them like, you know, how, how to talk basically and how to listen as well. Yeah. Uh, I, I I'm reminded of um when I was working in a communication school, uh so called Eikaiwa in Japan. And one of the trainers had gone away to Australia for like a one-week ESL course and came back. And we were all drawn to uh, Fukuoka. So all of the teachers from Kyushu uh, were all drawn to Fukuoka. So there's about 40 of us. And he said, and and it, it was built up as, a, he's come back with the, with the great knowledge that's going to improve your teaching And so we're all sitting there it being kind of like you know 21 22 23 year olds kind of like listening to it and he writes on the on the on the whiteboard plus two and it's like and then and then he launched into this whole thing of just being like well just have and but so because mm. in your in your classroom and have them plus two any sentence that they have and basically, everyone was looking around the room, going, "Don't we? Don't we already do that? We kind of we've <laughs> already recognized that from speech that that's kind of how it works." And and then you realize how much money it had cost to get forty people from all over Kyushu to Fukuoka together to book out this uh, conference room, and uh, for him to teach us conjunctions. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, for fluency, but. Yeah. <laughs> that was uh, that was the ekawa business twenty years ago. But you're right. I mean, it it is possible if you just tell students that, you know, if you add those just those four conjunctions, and but so because, and then if you throw in a wild card like for example, then a sentence can ostensibly go on forever. Because yeah. you're always just adding more and more details. So a one minute sentence, um, although as you say, sounds a bit odd from the beginning is completely possible yeah because yeah. because of those things
1: and i think it's not recommended mm. like I, we don't tell
0: students <laughs> you should try to talk for one minute
1: one student one 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 uh talk for one minute in one sentence sorry but that it's common it's more common than you would think mm. um yeah it actually you know going back to like the the experts uh you know I was not an expert in grammar or anything when I first started LO. I was just doing it for listening and Mm. I learned Thai kind of a similar way. That's why I wanted to create the site. But as I started doing the transcripts over and over again, I started noticing things that were glaringly different than what we were doing in textbooks. Mm. And there's two things I like to always point out that are whoppers that we do not teach, but will appear in almost every one minute of speech. The Mm. first one is the conjunctive adverbs, which we almost never teach. Um, Every sentence has a conjunctive adverb. So it could be something as easy as first, also as well. It could be something more complex, like in addition, conversely, whatever. Every sentence has one. Mm. Every sentence has one. And yet you will usually will not see that in an ESL textbook. Um, Another thing is the noun clause. And my noun clause story is that I kept on seeing, I didn't even know what a noun clause was. I kept on seeing these WH words, you know, who, what, when, where, why, how, but they weren't used as question words. They were just used as connectors. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. Like everybody says this a lot. And so where is the grammar in the textbook? So I did a personal analysis of, a personal research, I should say, of all these textbooks. I, I looked at maybe, I think it was 15 textbooks of the 15 textbooks, there's only two that had anything about a noun clause. And mm. both of those books had it in level four in the last book, in the last book, mm. at the end of the book, like chapter 12, whatever, which nobody, no, no teacher ever gets to. Mm. But here's the catch. From day one, you are saying things to students like, um, oh, this is where I live. This is what you do. Um, this is how I say it. Listen to how I say it. Watch, watch what I do.
0: Mm.
1: Well, you're using noun clause from day one with beginning students, and it's a very easy thing to teach. Now, the whole point being that we have this copy cut, copycat, I should say, copycat problem in education mm. where we don't mm. actually look in-depthly at language and what people need to say and what people actually say and what we teach. And so it's kind of startling when you really look at it, if you look at the the table of contents and textbooks, and you realize how limited in scope it is,
0: compared to how people actually speak. Well, it's the construct, it's the constructivist approach to language teaching, rather than, you know, actually deconstructing it from the top down. So, um, and it's a conversation that we've had before on the topic of the grammar translation method, and your takeaway, which I always find hilarious, it's like a, a retirement plan for me to remember uh, you explaining it when uh, you said, "Well, the grammar translation method was was designed to, uh, you know, help the allies in the Second World War to learn German." It's like. Well, it's pretty easy if you're part of the army, and you've just been ordered to learn German. <laughs> so, yeah. and so it's a very, it's a very, it's a constructivist approach, where would you start with? I mean, it's the old joke about um, in Japanese, and I'm showing on the on the video right now, yeah. this is a pen. Yeah, okay. It's the simple way of starting from grammar and building your way up. But it's not how the language is actually used. Uh, it's, it's the thing that I, try to do when uh and i mentioned this in a in a previous uh podcast that, that what i i tried to do with my um alternative uh website uh, elf communication because i'm a big believer in english as a lingua franca but improving first of all the confidence which is what i why i was drawn to your one in english improving the confidence of the users so that when they are in a situation where they're going to talk about these things they they know that there are people from the Caribbean, from South Africa, from Portugal, from um, the Philippines, from from Hong Kong, <clears throat> that they they have learned themselves how to speak confidently about topics that they are very interested in, in English long form. And uh, that's the reason why I built that website. Um, great
1: site. I was looking at it today, by the way, uh, re-looking at it. I've looked at it many times. It's fantastic. I wanted to see the updates and
0: it looks great yeah we're, we're still working on uh, other things it, it, it was a funded um I, I have to uh for probably for legal reasons i have to say that it was a, a funded site from a uh research uh grant and aid fund um that is actually coming to an end at the end of this year but what we've actually built it out to be is something that we and when I say we me and uh aaron han um use in our classes he uses it directly as teaching material in a flipped sense so they listen beforehand and then he uses the material in the class um, the next week what well, i do it as homework where the students choose two interviews they want to listen to uh write a review and then write what their opinion of the topic mm-hmm. is so we've we've done that for the last two years to get some feedback our our next uh, article should be coming out in april i think based on that so yeah I'm I'm very uh, interested in trying to make English as accessible but kind of like fluent academic confident English as accessible to as many people as possible. So um as we come to the end of the interview uh do you have any uh, other plans or or different ways you want to use one minute English. I mean, mean, at the moment, it's presented as a video and with transcripts. And you also, as you say, like, um, adjunct phrases, like otherwise, or Mm. finally, or things like that, They're, they're highlighted to kind of like, make them more available and accessible to the people who are listening. Do you have any other ideas about how you're going to use it?
1: Uh, Yeah, we have the new thing I'm working on um, is uh, there are four types of listening uh, we do. what's called, it's my own little thing. Uh, It's called um, hot listening, warm listening, cool listening, and cold listening. And a hot listening would be you can see the text and the questions. You can see everything. Warm listening would be you can, you cannot see the script, but you can see the question and the answers. A cool listening would be you can see the question, but you can't see the answers and then a cold listening is you can't read anything. It's just like mm-hmm. a podcast or whatever. I, I So we're trying to do a lot of different activities for the four different types. Um, recently, I've been really encouraged. Um, I'm teaching in Thailand in a non-academic environment uh, and kind of like the the language school model. And I've been doing stuff with A1 learners and I'm just blown away. I'm so excited because what I started, my big thing is that I think that the biggest problem is that we're looking at listening as listening, and we're not looking at it in terms of memory, Mm. in terms of concentration and retention and processing speed. And so I've been experimenting with pauses after each short utterance, and then like some type of interactive question. And what's blowing my mind is even the A1 students Mm. can get anything from a native speaker almost, if the Mm. question is right and if there's enough pause. And mm-hmm. so we need to have more activities where there's just time to process information. Also, in, the, in some of my classes, I have some students that have some cognitive diversities or learning disabilities. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to see that the big problem, again, is text. And that if you do activities that are just completely oral-based and they're just listening, they do quite well. Um, and so I want to experiment more with these short listings and even some of the longer ones, but kind of cut it up, uh, experiment with different lengths and this and
0: that. Okay, so before we end the interview, Todd, do you have any last thoughts, anything else you would like to share?
1: Uh, no, I just I would you know encourage people out there to you know to create their own materials, kind of like that we both do. Um, you know, I'm doing it kind of on the ESL level and you're doing it at the academic level, and that the more people just do talking and extemporaneous speech, the uh, the the better it is for everybody. So pull out that mic and
0: start recording. Well, I completely share your opinions and uh, you are welcome to come back and, and share your thoughts at any time. So we've been speaking to Todd, who is the owner of uh, our owner and producer of LO.org. That's E-L-L-L-O.org. And thank you very much for your time today, Todd. And I wish you all the best of luck. Thank you. And get that jacket ready. <laughs> if you'd like to contact the show, the best place to find out about us is our website, Lostincitations.com. Here you can learn more about the background to this project and how you can get involved. Our hope is to help academics, educators, and online content producers get in contact with each other. Our email address is lostincitations at gmail.com. We also have Facebook and LinkedIn pages. Please rate and comment on the sites you use to download your podcasts. It helps us reach more potential listeners. Probably the most helpful thing you can do is, if you like our content, recommend it to a friend and let them know what we're trying to do. Thank you very much.